Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. On today's episode, my guest is Kevin Cornelio. Kevin holds a degree in psychology and is an IPEC certified life coach, one of the world's best life coaching training schools. He spent several years in behavioral analysis, sales, and business management before starting his life coaching practice, and he will discuss this journey in the podcast. And most of our conversation is centered around introversion, shyness, and highly sensitive people. Three qualities that Kevin and I have in common. Our friendship is kind of founded on these qualities. And they're each qualities that have unique gifts and strengths, but that we grew up with a lot of shame around. I personally felt a lot of shame around being quieter, more reserved in an extrovert dominated world. I didn't think that I'd be able to find a career, let's say, that was in alignment with me while making a lot of money. And there were a lot of different reasons that we unpack in the conversation that we felt shame around these qualities. But my intention with this conversation is that if you identify as an introvert, shy, or a highly sensitive person, you'll see the power, the real power in these qualities. Whatever is you is exactly the way that you're supposed to be. There isn't a right way or a wrong way to be. So... I could have used this podcast for me a while back. And that's really the reason that I recorded this episode. It's something that I wish that I had. I wish that someone told me, Michael, your qualities of reflection and introspection are unique gifts. And so me and Kevin really explore all that and more in this conversation. So take a deep breath. (sighs) And enjoy this conversation with Kevin Cornelio. Kevin, my friend, welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Mike, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. I've been really excited to have this conversation. Really excited to have you on the podcast. And just to tee up the conversation, I want the listeners to connect with our stories of growing up as shy, introverted and highly sensitive. For me, to varying different degrees, I would love to hear your experience. So young Kevin, shy, introverted, highly sensitive, what was that like for you growing up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I like that you're framing the conversation that way, because it's something, you know, we've talked a little bit about this throughout our conversations. um, And I think those are um, aspects of ourselves that we learned over time you know, it was kind of uh, an intuitive connection we first had and we kind of learned over time these things that we had in common, which I think uh, a lot of guys out there experience uh, growing up, like you said, shy, introverted and or sensitive. Um, and it's probably one of the least talked about things because for me, I'll say, like I think for many guys out there, it, it feels shameful 
Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the most poignant thing that comes to mind for me when I think about how I grew up in those particular aspects of myself. I felt shame more than anything else. And what was, was like, was it pressure from your peers, your parents? Was it a combination of many different things? Because I'll say from my personal experience, my parents were always very supportive of the way I was. I mean, there might've been times where they hinted, it's important to be good at small talk, let's say, like a a completely innocuous, harmless thing to say to me. But I felt more of the pressure when I was out in the real world in school, let's say, or from other people's parents. I, I remember there was one time it was probably many times, but there was one time in particular that I was in a long car ride. It was me, my friend and my friend's dad. And I wasn't saying anything in the back of the car for a long time. And my friend's dad was like, wow, you, you really have a lot to say back there, Michael. And there were lots of moments like that from my childhood. And I think that's what contributed more to the shame around it. So I'm going to push it back to you. Like, what were, were there any specific moments or what contributed most to the shame on your end? Yeah, it's a good question. And I definitely like when you mentioned that story, it makes me think of the the moments that stand out in my mind. And, you know, we create memories based off what we pay attention to in the moment and the emotion that we feel associated with it. And this is such a powerful one, you know, this feeling of shame or, or the things that go with that. And so the things that stand out in my mind are definitely moments in social settings. So I'll say to, to most directly answer your question, I think the biggest influence was pressure coming from myself internally and I created that pressure and you know the the sense of how I should be or shouldn't be based on the social world based on you know culture a little bit it wasn't from my family per se I've always been both close with my family and on you know pretty even keel I would say in those aspects where I didn't get a, a overwhelming amount of pressure socially ever um, to do this or that or to be this way or that way Um, so the social world i felt a lot of this pressure because i had these expectations of myself you know from either seeing in the media you know in um, movies and tv the alpha male types or the you know protagonists or just people that i admired or people that i even knew in my own social world in school um, or friends that I that I essentially looked up to or looked up to certain aspects of them that I thought, oh, that'd be cool. Like, that is cool. You know, it is cool to be an outspoken guy, an assertive guy, to be someone more aggressive or tough. These were things that I, like you said, from kind of various sources, I internalized and developed this internal expectation and ideal that I set for myself based on all these different Uh, sources in the world that kind of reinforced it. Yeah. And as you're saying that I'm remembering, especially as I grew older and started to think about what do I want to do professionally in my career that, for example, the big five personality traits, ocean, there's openness, conscientiousness, and the E is extroversion. So when I saw extroversion, I was like, "Uh Oh, like if I'm going to be successful, I definitely need to be more outgoing, more assertive, bolder, gregarious. And so I started to not necessarily flip, but I I started to put pressure on myself to be more of those things because I thought 
if I'm not, then I'm not going to make it in the world. And if I don't make it in the world, then I'm not going to be happy, which is a, a whole nother story. That's kind of the American ideal is that you have the, the big house, a white picket fence, two kids, a dog and the whole nine yards. And my version of that was I need to be more charming to make that happen, let alone how I would be with women. If I was going to be attractive, I thought I need to be more outgoing and assertive as well in that area. So was was that something that you contended with as you matured into like your high school years and you started to think about what do I want to do with my life and, and what type of person do I want to be with? Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because I, I can think back to the different phases of life that, you know, we go through and, you know, they say there every, every seven year period is almost like its own encapsulated phase of life or even life in and of itself. And we kind of move on and shift into a new version of ourselves after this period of time. So I kind of think back to each stage and I can pinpoint these times where like that comes up for me, even, you know, as a young kid, um, remembering certain social uh, scenarios where I was just awkward, um, you know, said something and then immediately felt self-conscious about it or didn't say something. Um, like I was a kid who knew a lot of the answers in school and never raised my hand because I didn't want to talk in front of the class. I, I remember like all these, you know, memories come to mind now as we're talking about it. And I'll just throw a couple out there just for, you know, food for, for thought, I guess. But I remember a science fair when I was probably maybe 10 or 11 years old. And I was just walking around, um, you know, there, there were kids from my class um, all throughout the gym. I was looking through their projects, going from one to the next. And then there was a girl who had some, some, type, of, uh, some type of experiment going on with sugar cubes. And I remember thinking of a joke. I always had a sense of humor and I always liked to joke around, but in situations where I felt comfortable, where it was like somebody I was intimately you know, close to. And so in these scenarios, I would think of a joke, but I would hesitate to say it. And so I'm, I thought of something about like, you know, saying like, give me some sugar, some, some stupid little joke related to that. And I would remember like going back and forth in my mind as we're just standing there you know, this innocuous conversation among 10 year old kids is going on. And there were like a couple other, you know, guys and girls there. And then I, I just like pushed myself to say the joke to this girl who had this experiment. And in my mind to this day, I vividly remember my experience of saying it. But as soon as I did, I was so in my own head and in my own self-conscious feelings of awkwardness, of shame, of all these things that go with being shy and introverted. I don't even remember, you know, what her reaction or any of the other people said or did in response. They might've laughed, they might've not laughed, but it, it was such an experience where I was so caught up in myself that I didn't really experience what was actually going on in the social environment. And so I, I telling that story, it kind of just represents the theme throughout my life that over time, I realized that I wasn't actually experiencing the social world to a high degree because I, because I was, you know, whenever I was exposing myself to it, or putting myself in that situation, whether it was school, whether it was a dance, whether it was hanging out with people outside of school, I was so caught up in being within myself where I felt comfortable and safe. Or when I tried to push myself out of that, I was so quick to feel a sense of uh, whether it was fear or doubt or shame or rejection, whether it was there or not, I almost manifested it, you could say. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of scared me back into my shell 
a lot of times. So to bring it back around to what you mentioned before about, you know, the age where you're starting to think about the other sex in a different way, that's the age where you start to think about what I'm going to do with my life beyond school. I was really focused on a little bit of those things, but really just focused on myself more than anything and thinking, I don't, I don't feel like I'm anywhere near making decisions or making connections on those levels because of this thing that I started to realize that I just articulated about myself is that I'm so quick to go back into my shell. How can I, you know, be, do anything particularly significant with my life or be anyone significant to somebody else? Because I really am not capable yet of offering myself to the world. And I didn't, you know, have that articulation in that way at that time, but entering um, you know, the later stages of middle school and even high school, I was starting to realize I really need to get out of my head and out of myself and into the world around me to really experience the social world. And then I'll take it from there. Mm -hmm. Man, I really felt that. So thank you for sharing. I'm feeling called to, we've mentioned now three terms, introversion, shyness, and highly sensitive person. And so before mm -hmm. I ask you the next question, I just want to lay out the difference between all of those because they're all unique things. Although a lot of times in, in our case, we have a combination of all three of them. Introversion is the preference to when needing energy to restore by being alone rather than being with other people. And so introversion, I think, gets mistaken a lot of times with shyness, and they're different. You can be very introverted and be a very social person and be very good with people, but it's just that your preference is to recharge alone instead of being in an environment that's a lot of people or that's very stimulating. So if there's a lot of different things coming in that's bombarding your attention, that could be overwhelming for an introvert and very energizing for an extrovert. Shyness is, I think, in my words, is the resistance to have a novel encounter with someone, I would say, to, to approach another person. And so you can be very, again, you can be introverted and not shy. You can be very comfortable approaching another person and not fear what their opinion is of you. And you can also be very extroverted and be very shy. You can very much care about what other people are thinking about you and have social anxiety about going up to other people. Can I jump in real quick before you go to the next one? Yes. Because <laughs> I just want to... Uh just point to one thing you brought up there, which I think is a really important distinction for this. You mentioned the word fear, which to me is strongly tied to shyness and not as much to introversion, extroversion, which like you said, is more of a preference. To me, it's more of like a comfort or a desire based uh, situation versus shyness, I would say definitely ties for me and, and in general, I believe to, to fear and to yes. kind of shying away from something that, that intimidates you. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then a highly sensitive person, I think you're more well versed in this area than I am. I'll give a brief description. And then I want to hear what how you would describe a highly sensitive person. Yeah. A highly sensitive person is someone who is very cued into subtleties. So you can pick up on how someone else is feeling very well. And also, very reactive to the environment in general. So whatever is coming in, you internalize that very quickly. Again, that's, there's no tie to extroversion, introversion. You could be either or, and you could be shy or not shy and be a highly sensitive person. 
highly sensitive person is more just a, a strong reaction to whatever is in their environment. So I would love to hear from you if I did I miss anything in that description. No, I, I wouldn't say you missed anything. I think you described it well. I think you, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. So there's really more that could be said, but I think you encapsulated well, kind of the core of, of what it is to be uh, highly sensitive. And I'll just elaborate to say that um, I think of it as basically having a lot of sensory awareness that's kind of turned on. You know, we have, we have all these, we all have senses, right, obviously. We all have different uh, senses that are more acute than others. But to me, being a highly sensitive person is equivalent to having, you know, those senses. And it could be that you're at, you know, focused on one sense or another at a given time. But for, I know from my experience, I kind of have a lot of senses that are aware to a high level at once. Uh, but to me, it really just relates to that, you know, a high level of sensory awareness. And you, because of that, you know, you take in a lot from the environment, you take in stimuli very easily, you're affected by stimuli, stimuli in your environment very easily. And it leads to, you know, a good point that you made, which is you're, you tend to be highly reactive, because, you know, you're, it's, it's a give and take world, it's a cause and effect world. So you're getting some kind of stimuli, stimuli from the environment coming in, causing a feeling, a sensory, you know, phenomenon yourself. And yeah, we tend to react to that, obviously. So getting those definitions out of the way so that our audience is clear on what they each mean, I'm very curious to hear, because me and you both ended up in career choices that I think initially were out of alignment with our internal systems, but because we felt we had to be a certain way, we ended up going down that path. Your initial, if I'm not mistaken, your initial career was in recruiting, which is kind of the, I couldn't imagine being a recruiter right out of college. What ended up leading you into recruiting and how did, how were you successful in that as an introvert? Great question. It took me a, a long time to, to even um, discover that I could be successful, let alone to um, realize why or how I could be. And I don't know how deep you want to go into this, but my, it's funny because we have so many similarities, you and I, on, on these levels that we're talking about, especially, and we went in totally different directions when it came to this aspect of career. So this could be an interesting conversation in and of itself is just talking about our professional lives. So I'll say mine was definitely not a, uh, anywhere near a linear path. I started out going down, like you mentioned, kind of the sales and recruiting path uh, in the in the professional world. And the way I got there was basically, I, I got a degree in psychology in college, which is much more aligned with me, with who I am. And then I was debating for a while, should I go to grad school? Should I really go to dive into being a psychologist, a psychiatrist, something, you know, counseling related, um, which I felt a sense of being called to in my heart. But at the same time, there were many aspects of myself that kind of Going off of what I said before, I was still trying to develop and still trying to explore. And I think a lot of what I was trying to do to tie it back into what, kind of the theme of our conversation, at that point in my life, I was re recognizing that I was somebody who was introverted, definitely. Um, I always identified with that and still do to a certain degree, although I consider myself now more balanced between the two, more of an ambivert, as they call it, having introverted and extroverted tendencies. So recognizing that, that there was more of a desire to be more extroverted, 
uh, which definitely lends, lends itself to sales and those types of things. And also recognizing that the shyness that I experienced throughout my life was something that um, not only did I have shame about, but I just didn't want. I didn't want to identify as shy anymore. I didn't want to be somebody who experienced that shyness. Uh, I felt I experienced it more than enough already. And so I thought, uh, you know what? I don't want to take this opportunity of coming out of college and, and going into the world to go further into school, to go further into isolation or further into you know books and, and so forth. I still had an appreciation for those things, but I was still at the point where I wanted to open up myself further, open up um, that part of, you know, kind of exploring and, and going out into the world and challenging myself and being, seeing, you know, can I be more extroverted than I already am? Can I be, can I act like an extrovert actually? Kind of what it boils down to. I was, I was kind of thinking maybe I can turn myself into an extrovert and shed this shy, shyness tag. And um, the sensitivity thing wasn't really something I was thinking about, but in these other areas, that's where I was really like, I'm gonna go in this new direction. With a psychology uh, bachelor's degree, there's not a lot of options to you anyway. Uh, I found out in the working world, a lot of what, what you do have available to you pretty easily are sales jobs. So I said, you know what? It wasn't a career anyone who knew me would ever have guessed that I would have gone into, myself included, probably up until I did it. And so I dove into sales where I ended up uh, spending about eight years of my career, the bulk of my career. And it was, um, it was different things. It was um, initially door to door, business to business, selling tele telecommunication services, a whole bunch of things that I was not prepared for, had no experience or any idea what I was doing. But I found that at the core of it, I was just talking to people. And I was like, well, I've been practicing this, practicing this for a while. It seems like a natural extension of what I've been doing. And so I, you know, talked to people and, and uh, went in places that I wasn't comfortable. And I was like, oh, this is just kind of more of the same of what my life has been. Going into places where I don't feel comfortable, trying to start conversations when I hate chit chat and small talk, and then seeing if I can build some type of dynamic or relationship out of it. Um, and that was, you know, I'll kind of pause for a moment here. We can go whatever direction with it. But that was really the foundation of what my career was based on. So the thing that I'm most curious about as I'm hearing that is you mentioned that there was a moment where like no one would have thought, including yourself, that you would end up in that career. There was this pressure to be more extroverted, even though that might have not been in alignment with your true self. Did you, when you went down that career path, did you start to find yourself more or did you become more lost because you felt like you weren't being authentically you? That is a great question. Um, my answer is yes. Both of those things happened. Um, and this is where things got really um, interesting over time for me. Uh, I felt that there was a part of myself that did have this desire for those things you know, those extroverted things and, and the social things to be a part of my life while also feeling like over time I was, I didn't realize this till later, but I did kind of create a, a disconnect at the same time between who I had been for the, for a, a lot of my life. So I'll get into that in a second, but I, I will say that what kind of happened over time was I grew up as this one person identifying as very shy. You know, and I'll focus on that point for now. The shyness thing was something I was fighting in myself. So there was where a lot of the conflict was. I grew up 
being so shy that I was afraid to talk on the phone to people. And now here I am doing a job where I make cold calls on the phone all day. I, I grew up being somebody who was afraid to raise my hand in class or to give a, a presentation in front of a group of people. And here I am going around um, trying to force myself into these situations where I'm presenting to CEOs of companies and talking to them about what I think they should do and recommending certain things. And it was, it was both uh, exciting and extremely nerve wracking. And so what was going on was a high amount of conflict in me, but at the same time, um, a conflict that I, I truly believe to this day that I needed, even though it was also taking me out of alignment with certain aspects of myself. It was kind of like I, I realized I had to lose myself as far as who I had been um, to really find out who I would be. And a lot of that was, you know, figuring out um, and experiencing all these different things I thought I should be or I thought I wanted to be or kind of exercising those, you know, people talk about the phrase sowing your oats, right? I think that's what I was doing in a lot of ways. And some of it stuck over time and some of it didn't. But it was kind of like just diving into the deep end and finding out, you know, how, how I swim. Yeah, I'm hearing a multiplicity of parts almost in as much as there's always a, a, a true return to home for you probably was being more introverted and alone and liking, yeah, just having time to yourself and not having to be, uh, you know, making small talk and making chit chat with a lot of people. But there's also a different part of you that was eager to prove to yourself that you could do all of those things. And I don't think any of us are perfectly bucketed into one category or another. It just shows the complexity of being a person. We all have maybe a default mode that resonates more with us. But you mentioned ambiversion. I kind of identify as an ambivert. We all have these different competing uh, needs and desires and, and wants. And so it's easy to just say, yeah, I'm an introvert or yeah, I'm an extrovert. Or, I'm shy or I'm not shy. But I think all of us are kind of on a spectrum moving along both ways. And that was, to your point about the seven-year phase, you were in sales for about eight years. That was a chapter in your life where you wanted to show yourself that you could build those skills. And yeah. I think maybe after that, there was more of a return to home of, okay, now you're a coach, which I would love to hear a little bit about. As a coach, there's the component of, yes, I have to build a business, but also I'm connecting mostly with people one-on-one. -on -one. And, uh, and as a writer, which you do as well, you're doing, you're connecting more with your own thoughts and feelings instead of being out there in the world trying to figure out other people's. So what was that transition like back to, I'll call it a return to home where you're coaching and writing and doing things that you more, were more naturally gifted at as a child? Yeah, I love the way you characterize that. And I feel like it's very, very accurate. And to the point of yeah, I was in sales for about eight years. Um, don't think that's a coincidence at all with uh, like we talked about before, the, the kind of phases of life. So to your question, I got to this point. Um, so I graduated in 2011, um, started this you know career in sales in that year. And then I got to this point around 2018. I feel like it was really becoming, hitting an apex. And then 2019 um, kind of started to make a transition. But 
Um, what happened right before that was through my sales job, which I'm grateful for this um, blessing, and I also don't think it's a coincidence by any means. Through this sales job, I happened to stumble across a company one day when I was just doing my research and called calling and so forth. That is, um, it's called IPEC, um, Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. And what they do is train life coaches. And so out of nowhere, I found this place, had never really thought much at all or heard of any places that do this, but I was aware of what that represented or what that meant, at least in my mind, uh, to be a life coach. And I found this place and I was like, huh, this is where I should be. This is what I should go do. Um, I was in this, you know, recruiting and sales job, which I had kind of developed over the years, all these, you know, sales skills and practices and moved to couple different companies and grown within the roles that I had to this point where I was like, basically I've maxed out how, how much this can fit me, how much this sales world and this particular job can fit me. That's where I was. I was basically in the, and recruiting to me is, is, um, you know, there's a lot of different things to sell in the world. I was quote unquote selling people, um, which can sound awkward, but to me it's, it's kind of a great thing because the thing about sales is the only way to be successful is by believing in what you're selling. And I was all about people, you know, whether I was shy or not, I was a people person always. I, I cared about people, I connect with people. And so to me, that was the best I could do in sales was being in a job where I'm, I'm not only talking to people, but I'm representing people and I'm recommending them and I'm showing why I believe in them to make a sale. So that, t- that type of job, um, the level I was at, the money I was making, the company and the people around me, were pretty much the best they could be. And deep down, I still kind of hated it all. I didn't dread going to work every single day at that point, but I know I had maxed out the, the positives of it. And so when life coaching came around, it was something that to me represented freedom and the next step away from this, this career that I had cultivated for myself that to you know, borrow your phrase before, was out of alignment with a, a lot of parts of myself. When I found coaching, I when I found this company, I, I went down the path of getting certified. I um, you know signed up and decided to partake in the coaching program, which I did from 2016 on about the next year, year and a half. And so bringing it back to this point in 2018, I had completed that process, and I was at a point where I knew that this was more than anything else I'd found in my life, representing who I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be doing. Well, I can very much relate to what you were saying about being in your initial career, kind of maximizing its utility, and then going into coaching and realizing, oh yeah, these are my people. But I think that's a conversation for another time. I'm gonna table that for now. And I want to transition into the five questions that me and you spoke about beforehand that I think really accurately portray our experience of growing up as shy and introverted. And hopefully for audience members, we'll help them connect with these things that you and I both maybe struggled with, but also have inherent gifts as well. And so the first or it's not a question it's actually a prompt that we connect with the first one is i have a rich complex inner life i dislike small talk but thoroughly enjoy talking in depth about topics that matter to me as i say that what comes up for you 
the first part, I have a rich, complex inner life. Obviously, that's something that's not as much observable. But the fact that I just like small talk and thoroughly enjoy in-depth conversations about topics that matter, I think the reason I am in a relationship with anybody I consider, you know, a friend or, you know, uh, to have an intimate relationship with me, this is true uh, of probably both of us, um, but definitely something that is true for me and for those relationships that I have, because I love to go deep into stuff, um, whether it's something that I already knew about or something that I can learn about from somebody else. I love the deep, rich things that, in, you know, kind of add to that inner life that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as introverts, or maybe I'll, I'll take a step back, I think that maybe extroverts or certainly the expected norm with most people in my experience is that you work from small talk into a deeper conversation. So when you just are getting to know someone, the tendency might be, let's talk about the weather or events or vacations, things that are lower stakes, but that are easy to connect on. And then over time, once you develop more of a rapport, then we can talk about religion or spirituality or what's the meaning of life and, and diving into or human psychology, things that you and I are more interested in. And I think for introverts, it's completely a flip of the script. We would rather just dive right into things that matter and we get a little bit frustrated with having chit chat and small talk about things that we would categorize as not being as important. When I first read this, I, it was a really big connecting moment for me. I, I always felt very isolated in that experience. I thought other people just don't, which is another prompt that we're going to get to. Other people don't really get me or like something's off with me because everyone else seems to enjoy small talk. And I don't really love small talk. It's something that I've developed as a skill, but was not inherent when I was a, a younger kid, let's say. So even currently, there's a lot of times I come home from a dinner party and my frustration usually is we didn't talk enough about things that I find important. We were just talking about weddings and we were talking, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But I am like, yeah, I want to talk about like, what's your experience of the world right now? Like, how are you really? Tell me about how you're feeling about things. Tell me things that are exciting in your life right now. And yeah, I'll, I'll kick it back to you. What comes up as I as I start saying that? Well, it's funny because the first thing that came to mind as you were just saying that is, wow, you, you seem a lot more fancy and upscale than me going to these dinner parties in Manhattan. And <laughs> it's funny how we perceive things, right? Um, and what happens in our mind when we hear a certain term. But yeah, when I think about this for myself, I, um, I've gone through different, like we talked about phases of life. Um, I've gone through different experiences with like how I feel towards small talk. I hated it at one point because I felt like, eh, it's superficial and it's, it's fake. And I judged it a lot in a sense. And I also judged myself for not being good at it. And so I just had this really uncomfortable relationship with small talk. And then I went through a period of time, like I mentioned the sales jobs before, it's pretty much a lot of small talk is what you're doing every day. Um, trying to find quick common things to connect with somebody on. And I think uh, doing that helped me to develop a more kind of neutral, at least, uh, if not um, positive relationship with small talk. Um, but at the end of the day, like we described, you know, coming back to coming back home, I like the way you put that before coming back home to me is always going to be going into depth with someone or with myself, 
you know, I think uh, talking about what we're doing now to get a little meta podcasting is such a great way to do that. Coaching is such a great way to do that. Reading and writing, which I know we both spend time doing, and I obviously am going um, further in down the road of writing these days, like you know, um, all of that is about going into depth, learning more about who we are and about um, how we think and feel and all these things. And so that is always going to be, you know, to, to borrow your, your phrase that I like that you mentioned there, uh, coming back home to me represents all those things. Yeah. And you mentioned one of the most powerful gifts of introversion is the ability to think deeply about things, but to just go deeply on things. And that's why someone like, say, Bill Gates is so successful. He has a propensity to be able to go deeper and spend time on subject matter for a longer period of time than most other people would because his ability to focus and hone in on something is, as an introvert, is something that's he just has a greater capacity than most other people. And so it's one of the things that doesn't get, I think, enough airtime is that one of the gifts of being able to step back as an introvert a lot of times does is that you're able to have a, a broader perspective on things and also are able to hone in on what's most important instead of always doing things all the time and constantly being bombarded with stuff. We're able to be more methodical and have a long view and it also is bringing to mind the, the marshmallow study, which is a study on delayed gratification. I would, I'm not positive, but I would gather or guess that an introvert is probably better with delayed gratification than an extrovert because we are more methodical and, and patient. Typically, I, I'm painting with very broad strokes here, but those mm -hmm. were a couple of things that came to mind as you were speaking. The second prompt that I want to move to is throughout my life, people have described me as soft spoken, mellow or quiet. What comes up for you with that prompt? Soft spoken, mellow or quiet. Well, it's funny because I, I almost have a very similar experience to when we mentioned the terms shy, introverted and sensitive, because again, I feel like the way you defined and distinguished them before, I feel the same way about these terms to an extent, you know? So if I take them in turn, I kind of think about, so to me, mellow is something that I actually value to me that, that describes kind of reserved, even keel, but almost at ease in a way. Um, whereas quiet is something to me that is, more a choice, honestly, in my mind, as opposed to it's a behavior as opposed to an attribute. And then soft spoken, I kind of on the flip side of mellow, I almost have this inherent judgment of soft spoken, you know, even just hearing the word soft at the beginning of it, it brings me back to that thought of sensitive, or, you know, I think a lot growing up, it to me meant a weakness. You know, I don't want to be soft spoken, I want to be bold and confident and loud and proud, so to speak. And um, yeah, those are kind of the different different things that jump to mind with me in those terms. Mm -hmm. With quiet, I already mentioned the story at the top of the interview 
where I was in the back of a car and that happened so many times in my life. Someone would make a, a joke, a, a comment like, wow, you really have a lot to say back there, Michael. And I always, even to this day, sometimes if someone says someone is quiet, I get this like sinking pit feeling in my stomach. I just have such an aversion to that word. And it's not actually something that I would categorize as a flaw. It's just been so conditioned as a flaw that I have that response to it. But I think that being quiet, being a really good listener is like, that's one of the top leadership pieces of advice these days is you have two ears and you have one mouth. So use them proportionally. And I think a lot of the best leaders are really good listeners. They're able to hold multiple perspectives, multiple views on things and are able to I guess, locate your own strengths, but then be able to take in the strengths of a bunch of other people as well. And in the first podcast that I did with one of my former coaches, Mike DeSanti, he said the best piece of leadership advice is to lead with a whisper and not with a megaphone. And I really love that. I think that there's, there's something really powerful about being able to model leadership with your actions and not have to be brash about it or have to you know be pounding your chest and saying how amazing you are so while i have this aversion to the word quiet or soft-spoken i know that there's so many inherent gifts in those and for anyone who's listening as an introvert then i i hope that you're able to see there's so many gifts in this as well yeah, yeah, and I love that you went there because I know, I know we're going to get into talking more about this maybe now, um, but part of what we, what you and I have talked about with these traits is how to recognize and identify them and accept them to let go of the kind of negative qualities that we associate with them and then move on to explore the positive qualities because there are so many, you know, there's a, there's a plus and minus to everything in life, yes. right? But I think we have a tendency as people who, especially when we grow up this way, shy, introverted, sensitive, whatever, you know, and, and other people listening to this will have other things that they attribute to themselves that they don't want, right? We all grew up with certain tendencies that we want to outgrow or that we judge ourselves for. Some people are, maybe they're, they consider themselves too loud, you know, or too outspoken or um, speak without thinking. We all have these different things, but we, what we don't realize is when we focus on the negatives, we see all the negatives, but we, we forget that there are plenty of positives too, and vice versa. Confident people just happen to focus on more of the positives of what they're bringing to the table. And so they see more of those positives and they embody them more and so on and so forth. But yeah. I love that you brought up this point because when we, it's easy, I think, for a lot of us to hear these words, soft-spoken, quiet, and not think about the positives as easily as the negatives because you know, the extroversion is, is so lauded and, and admired in culture and so forth. But yeah, when you, you mentioned um, an example, that was a great one. When you, you know, when you read or, or look into sources like 48 Laws of Power, for instance, or leadership books or, you know, training courses, the, the real key to authority or leadership or power or whatever you want to call these things is being able to be soft-spoken or to be quiet, even silent and to have attention to command a room and to do all these things without being loud because at the end of the day being loud and being boisterous isn't power it isn't authority it's giving away those things it's drawing attention but it's not commanding attention it's not 
really being incredibly responsible and you know being a leader with that attention and so it's interesting to me and i think to a lot of us it would be to discover that within all these things we think are negative are actually honed trained practice abilities that make us highly capable leaders yeah and you mentioned one of my favorite c words confidence and in Susan Cain's book, Quiet, which is one of my favorite books that I've ever read, in the very beginning of the book, she has a saying that quiet confidence is not an oxymoron. And that mm. really, really landed with me the first time I read it, because it's so true. Confidence doesn't mean that you have to be outgoing and charming. It just means that you have a, a knowing of your capabilities that you're self-assured in some way. And that doesn't necessarily mean one thing or another. A lot of these terms are completely neutral. It's the meaning that we make of it and that we assign to it. Yeah. Um, just briefly to go anecdotal with that in support of what you just said. I remember when I was in training to become a life coach and I was being certified, one of the exercises that we did was to um, match up with a partner and spend 60 seconds, one of us being silent and the other just describing positive attributes of the person. So, you know, you take your turn sitting there and just standing there and silently hearing somebody describe all the things that they see about you that they value or consider positive. And that can be a really awkward, uncomfortable thing, um, depending on who you are. But for a lot of us, maybe who are introverted or shy or, you know, in our heads, it's definitely something I never experienced before then. And uh, maybe, maybe my mom when I was younger, cause she tends, you know, we get the mom compliments, but it's a different experience. So I'm standing there for 60 seconds, listening to someone who, you know, is a fellow life coach in training, who now to this day is a life coach, a successful life coach and somebody I still consider a friend. And at the time, um, I just, I don't remember anything else that she said, but this phrase stuck with me and still to this day, she said, you have a quiet confidence. And that's what came to mind for me when you mentioned uh, Susan Cain's book. I, that, that resonated so deeply with me because I think of exactly what you described. They seem like oxymorons. To me, I had this kind of, this illusion in my mind that to be confident, you could not also be quiet. You would be the loud center of attention person. And I knew I wasn't that. But I discovered, you know, in this process, and, and like you mentioned, reading that book, um, I think a lot of us go a long time until we discover, oh, you can be quiet and confident. You can be soft-spoken and powerful. You know, these things that don't ne necessarily intuitively go together really can. Well, one, I echo your colleague's sentiment. You, you do have that quiet confidence about you. And two, in retrospect, it just seems so obvious. I was a huge Yankee fan when I was growing up, and the captain of their team, Derek Jeter, was always a, he always had that quiet confidence about him. He he was always the guy who led with his actions and wasn't very verbose and wasn't the guy that was making a huge locker room clubhouse speech to get the troops rallied up. He was just the guy who did his thing. He showed up every day. He worked his ass off. And it's funny, I was I missed that because of my perception of what confidence really meant. 
But I want to I want to move on to the next prompt. This one is probably the one that talk about the captain all day because that was my man Derek Jeter number two. So <laughs> that'll be the next podcast for another podcast. We we have too many things to put a pin in right now. Number three. This is the one that resonates the most with me. When I am being observed performing a task, I become more nervous or shaky and usually do much worse than I would otherwise. I'm going to go first on this one because it makes me, it instantly brings to mind my journey in public speaking. And so I was always pretty decent in one-on-one conversations if I was with a friend. I think people would probably have described me as eloquent and well-spoken. And as soon as I am being put in front of a room, even if it was one person, and it's like, go ahead and talk for two minutes. Oh, my God, my my body would just start to go into a full panic mode. And there's one specific moment that I'll never forget. It was a huge turning point for me. I was trying to work through my fear of public speaking. I went to it's called Toastmasters, which is a wonderful organization. And there's lots of different chapters globally, I believe, certainly in New York, there's there's probably over 100. And I went as a guest to a Toastmasters thinking I'll just sit and observe in the audience. And in the beginning of Toastmasters, they do what's called table topics. So they give something to riff on a topic. And I think when I was there as a guest, the topic was you had to start with the prompt and there I was and just run with it for two or three minutes two members got called up to the front of the room first and they told incredibly engaging stories. One of them spoke about, they, they made up the story about being uh, confronted with a bear in the woods and their journey of running away from it and, and how they escaped the bear. And then another person talked about skydiving and their experience of the wind hitting their face and what was happening, the, the sensations they were experiencing. And then the person that was leading the Toastmasters goes, okay, next up we have Michael Trugman. And I was caught totally off guard and I froze. I was in fight, flight, or freeze and I just froze. I didn't go up to the front of the class. I pretended I wasn't there. It surfaced my deepest fear about myself is that if I was called to the front of the room, I would freeze and I would have nothing to say. And mm-hmm. that, that lent that led me down the path that I've been on in a lot of ways of trying to become a better public speaker, but also being more confident in messing up in front of people and in making mistakes. And so this prompt really resonates with me because even to this day, like before we hit record to do this podcast, there's still that performance anxiety of like, Oh, like other people are going to listen to this. And am I going to sound good? Am I saying introvert too many times? Am I saying shy too many times? There's like all this stuff I've had to work through to turn the volume down on just a little bit. And it's something that is, I think a lot of people really resonate with, no matter how how you identify. It's like when someone's watching you, you're really worried about what other people might be thinking. Do you have any experiences that come to mind when I bring this up? So I do, I do. Um, I also, um, so I'll, I'll answer from my end first, but I really want to ask you a little more about that because the public speaking, among all the things that I know um, that you do with your life and the endeavors these days, that might be the most just intriguing to me in terms of the 
the process, you know, that you went through to become somebody who had that fear and then to get to where you are now. So I want to ask you something about that, if you don't mind, sure. um, but I'll answer your question first. Um, for me, the two areas that pops out the most when I think about being observed performing a task and the way I experience that, um, one is sports. I always loved sports growing up. That was one of the most biggest sources of joy for me. And at the same time, any, any point at which I felt the eyes on me, you know, I, basketball was always my number one sport, but I hated going to the free, free throw line mm-hmm. because it's you. You're on the spot, literally as on the spot as you could be. And it's, you're just there and you have to take that shot. And I was a, a good shooter. I was a good free throw shooter. But when I got on the line, I didn't know who I was. I was just somebody trying to stay in, in the experience uh, of the moment. And like I said before, not be just withdrawn in my own head, uh, letting the nerves take over. But yeah, that was definitely an arena where I felt it a lot. And then the other one is, is going back to just um, my job, you know, whether it was sales or I did a job for um, about a year or so where I was working with young children and doing behavioral um, training, essentially, um, as a therapist to teach them certain tasks. And that job involved me sitting down with a two or three year old child, trying to keep them at a desk for an hour or two at a time and make them do things that they didn't want to do while their mother's there watching. And there are a whole set of expectations and stresses and tensions that go with that. But um, I remember these moments, um, you know, even in my sales jobs, when you're doing uh, cold calls in the beginning and you're getting trained on how to do it and not to do it, when there are these expectations of you performing and, you know, it's in that moment where I'm either going to perform or I'm not, it's, it's a very, very daunting and very eye-opening experience. Definitely something I've gone through and I think anybody, definitely anybody who's introverted or shy or identifies with what we're talking about here can, can think of their own experiences. But I'm, if you don't mind me uh, yeah. turning the tables real quick on this, uh, this conversation, I'm really intrigued by your experience with public speaking. And it's something that I, I think resonates with everybody because, you know, we always hear the number one fear in the world isn't, isn't death, it's public speaking, right? So this is something we all relate to. Um, I'm really curious, and I think this comes from me being that highly sensitive person. And like I described before, the sensory experience of it. I'm curious for you in the experience that you described before, when, when that fear comes up in you, what you're feeling in your body, like physiologically, what's going on with you in those moments or what was going on with you back when you were kind of engulfed by the fear? Well, the first thing that happens is probably I get my heart drops really quickly. And then I feel that in my gut, it starts to get really active. And then that kind of reverberates throughout my whole body where I get this like tingling sensation and then my palms get really sweaty. And so physiologically, that's really what's happening. I I start to also make myself smaller in a way. So there's like a, a tendency to cower and maybe curl my shoulders in and then my, my thoughts, my mind starts to get really active as well, which isn't necessarily a physiological response, but my thoughts are like, oh my God, people are going to, you're going to stumble. You're going to make a mistake. People are going to see what a fraud you are. You're going to look like an idiot up there. You have no idea what you're saying. It's like all of my inner critics thoughts start to surface at the same time while my heart is racing, while I'm in this uncomfortable sensation. And 
it's like I mentioned before that fight, flight, or freeze. I get the response of like, well, I'm being called into action right now. What do I do? And for most of my life, when I felt that physiology, I ran away from it, which is a big reason I ended up in accounting in the first place. I, I was like, I want to avoid that thing at all possible costs. I do. I hate that feeling. And that yeah. manifested in so many ways. I, I didn't tell a lot of stories as a kid growing up because that was a spotlight on me. I felt the same way when I was shooting foul shots as well. And there are, we could go ad nauseum of the different examples. Anytime that there was a spotlight on me, I did not want that. Yeah. Yeah. You just want to hide, right? Yes. Um, so I, I, I like your description. It was very um, visceral and, and brings us into the moment and definitely resonates uh, in a lot of ways with me. So now I'm curious because you much more than I or, or many people have not only discovered, you know, in that moment, this experience on a very visceral level, but then did something about it. Like you, and now I, I don't know if you'd call yourself, but I'll call you, um, you know, more of a master of public speaking. You went through um, training and you did a lot for yourself the way I kind of did, you know, the way I see it with my sales jobs, what I was trying to do is train myself to be this extrovert, this salesperson and spent years doing that. I know you've taken um, similar steps in a way to, you know, train yourself and practice and to master that kind of fear response and that experience uh, to now be very adept at public speaking. Can you now tell me um, kind of comparing it and shifting away from what it was before? Like, what do you experience now physiologically, you know, internally, your thoughts? What's that experience like nowadays? So the physiology, I would say the volume is probably turned down about 80%. So the same things happen, but it's the volume is just turned down a lot, right? It's not this overwhelming sensation that I can't handle. It's just a, a slight alert. It's like my alarm clock initially was blasting, like the heart was pounding uh, from, from the Upper East Side all the way down to, the, to Wall Street at first. And now it's just a very contained, like my heart's beating here and I'm, I still feel grounded and present in my body. So I'm like, my palms still do get sweaty. My palms were a little bit sweaty before we started doing this interview. But yeah, I, I don't really know a, a better way to describe it other than that. That's, that's where my physiology is. The thoughts that I have about that, this is, I think, a really interesting, I, I call it a reframe. I have kind of taught myself that this is an excitement instead of a fear that I need to run away from. So there's like a, and maybe there's a tendency to lean away from at first and to hide. Now my tendency is to lean in and to use this as energy. So I actually find that I'm more engaging if I'm a little bit nervous than if I'm fully relaxed and not alert and at attention. And so I've learned to kind of use this as a, ignition or fuel instead of something that is making me shut down, which is what used to happen for me. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And it reminds me of this um, mantra that's become very foundational for me, which is uh, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I try to carry that across a number of different experiences, but this is what that speaks to uh, for me in this, this moment is like, you still feel those things like you described. Um, but you do it anyway. And not only that, you lean into it and use that as fuel, which is awesome. And to me, you know, energetically, uh, is what that's kind of meant for in the long run. That's really cool. And, um, to go back to the other, um, point you made with it, when you describe turning down the volume, 
think that's a great way to put it. And it brings me back to, you know, these, think of these questions and these aspects we're talking about in ourselves. It makes me think of, well, you're kind of just stepping out of that label of in that moment being a highly sensitive person and just being a person. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. And then you can just go and perform as any person would, you know? Um, and I think that's part of the challenge of all this stuff is we get caught up in these labels and what they mean and what we attribute to them and, you know, the thoughts or the feelings get going. And that's what takes us out of just being ourselves, being who we are and just, you know, showing that to the world. Mm-hmm. Amen, brother. Well, I do want to move on in the interest of time and move on to the next prompt. The next one is I have with and this, this is more categorized as introversion. In my opinion, I have withdrawn from social events into isolation because I felt overwhelmed and needed to recharge. To me, this almost goes hand in hand with just the definition of introversion. That's, that's what I believe is, um, I enjoy social events, uh, especially, you know, now much more than I used to when I was more shy and, and, um, uncomfortable in them. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm always going to draw my energy from being either alone or with people I'm very, very intimate and, and comfortably connected to. And to me, that's introversion versus an extrovert who gets that charge and gets that energy from being, you know, in these big social settings. So this is definitely very true for me. Although I have, like I said, gone towards the um, more the ambivert, like kind of middle of the road of that, that spectrum where there are definitely times I go out and get that burst of energy or excitement from being in the social settings, but I would almost equate it to like, um, you know, getting a sugar rush or, you know, when you, you drink and you get that initial buzz, it's, it's kind of quick and exciting, but it wears off quickly and, and leaves you more tired in the end than you were before. For me, there's a couple of specific events that come to mind. There's one, I was at my, she was then my girlfriend, but my wife's friend's rehearsal dinner. And it wasn't even that big of an event. We were with, we were probably in a circle of about 12 people. And for whatever reason, I was just a little bit off that night. And I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I just left the room and went into the bathroom and just hung out in there for I I think it was probably three minutes and gathered myself because there's something about the setting that was overwhelming or like if someone in the conversation turned to me and asked me anything about myself I would have that I already had the physiology of this is going to be really uncomfortable for me and I need to excuse myself from this situation and even when I was younger yeah I was just having this thought recently there were times at family events, so I was with people I was very close with, extended family, where I would just go into my bedroom and take a nap because I was so drained from being around people for more than, say, 20 minutes. Like when I'm with people for hours at a time, it could be very challenging for me to stay engaged because there's just so, so, there's so much coming in. And one of my responses to this especially in college, was to just drink my way through it. I thought, you know, something's off with me. So I need to drink a lot of alcohol to make myself more presentable in these situations. That played to my detriment, I think, in a lot of ways. In the short term, I probably was, quote unquote, more fun and more talkative. But long term, I felt myself just way more out of alignment with my true self. And 
feeling really shitty the next morning. And instead of questioning that and, and saying, you know, what's, what would be most in alignment with me? I kept doubling down. I was like, I'm going to, I just need to keep going out. I need to keep drinking all these things to make myself more presentable, more interesting instead of connecting with, yeah, there's sometimes on a Friday night that I just like to read and be by myself. I've actually always enjoyed going to restaurants by myself, for example, or going to see a movie by myself, things that most people would say, oh, that's weird. Like, why do you want to do that? And so, yeah, there's there's just this one really, when I read it the first time, it, it stood out to me because I thought, again, that something was wrong with me for having this. But I've realized now over time that it's it's such a common thing. It's, and there's it's not good or bad to be introverted, it just is. All right, the last prompt, Kevin. I have a lot of people who care about me, but I feel like most people don't really get me. I often feel different than. Kick it to you. So it's funny, there's um, an experience that started to come for mind come to mind for me when um, you were just describing you know, withdrawing from social events. And to me, this kind of ties into both that point and this one in a specific way, where I, in a larger way, I'll say it's amazing what our own, how, how stubborn and how deep seated our own pathologies can be, because I can be in, in any moment and really convince myself of this, this one statement, which I feel like I identify with all these, but this one's really poignant for me. And I think has a lot to do with some of the things I've experienced in my life. Yeah, I have people who care about me, but I can even the way I say that, I feel like I'm already explaining away. Yeah, but um, it's so natural. But I can argue with that. Yeah, they don't really understand me though. They don't really know me. They don't, you know, they don't know this about me. They don't know the true me, the full me. Um, and to an extent, that's always kind of true in life, right? We can only know so X percentage about each other, but we can we're only really conscious of X percentage of ourselves too. So what does that really mean at the end of the day? People can know us as much as we let them know us. We can, they can care about us as much as we let them care. And what I realized from thinking about this particular thing is like, wow, I spent a lot of my time, a lot of my time in my life, not really letting people know me and not really letting people care about me because that's what I'm doing with this statement is like, I'm rejecting that first part. I have a lot of people who care about me and I'm choosing, well, I feel like people don't get me. And so if I feel that and I focus on that, it's true. And so to bring it back to that specific example that came to my mind, when I was in college, it was the end of freshman year and um, my um, roommates and close friends that I developed um, freshman year started hanging out with this other group of girls among whom was my now wife. And we, we just started hanging out for about a week or two and there was a specific night on a weekend where we were all drinking, hanging out, and somebody decided to go outside and smoke cigars. And I, I hate smoking in all forms. Um, personally, never did it. Never liked to be around it. I think it has to do with being a highly sensitive person and the way it affects me, but I won't go into that. Um, but in the moment, I was, um, you know, I'd been drinking. I was, you know, feeling like doing what I wanted to do. And I was like, oh, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. They want to go outside. First of all, I'm cold. I'm always cold. Um, I think it was April, but I was still cold. Um, and it was chilly outside. And they want to go out there and smoke cigars. Like, why am I going to go do that? I don't want to be around that. It's not about me. No, thank you. So this this group of us, there are probably eight to ten people. 
And I was the only one who withdrew and was like, you know, what? I'm going back to my room. See you guys later. And I kind of just left it on weird terms and just kind of like ditched the rest of the group. Meanwhile, telling myself internally, I'm the only one who doesn't want to do this. They are all doing this weird thing. I guess I'm just different from everybody. And so I withdraw, go back into my little isolation chamber in my room. By that time I was tired, I was uncomfortable. All these things kind of play together here. And what uh, the reason this comes to my mind is because, and the reason I even remember this particular night is that was one of the first occasions this ever happened to me where I went to be alone and somebody else came and followed and, and searched me out. And it was this girl who, you know, I was getting to know at the time, but just, you know, barely acquaintances, let alone friends, who I developed a friendship with over the next year and eventually a relationship. And now we're married and live together. Um, but it stood out to me that, that Amanda came and found me where I was. And it was this moment where I was like, okay, maybe I'm not the only one. Maybe I'm not the only one who feels this way. Maybe someone does care. Maybe someone does get it. And um, it was just a simple fact that she chose to be with me and do what I was doing, whatever that was, which was basically just isolating myself. And, you know, I think on a lot of these things that we're talking about here, it, it, at the end of the day, for me, it comes down to, are we isolated in it or are we not? Because we can look at positives or negatives whenever we want to, but, you know, how we feel about it and what these labels mean to us and if we reject them or accept them or feel good about them or bad about them, to me, has a lot to do with just, well, who else connects with these and who can we share that experience with? Because I know that, you know, for, for this one in particular, when I get in really low periods in my life, that's when I'm feeling this type of way that nobody gets me. When I'm feeling really good about life, that this thought doesn't cross my mind. I'm hearing essentially, well, two things. One is there's an invitation to just let other people in. Like we are kind of, when we say someone doesn't get me, a lot of the times it's we're not allowing people to get us. We're blocking that from happening. Yeah. And so it's on, it's on us to let the other person in and to maybe make the first effort and to say what's happening in our life uh, and allow people to get us, right? It's not, it, <laughs> we feel different than is probably a story that we are telling ourselves that is blocking us from having the connection that we actually desire in the first place. And the, the second thing that it is bringing to mind for me, though, is I can really relate to the experience that you were describing there, where I'm with a bunch of people. There are a lot of times that I find myself in conversation and the default in the conversation might be to talk about what's next in life or things that people are interested in buying. So like, what do you accessorize with? Watches, cars, houses. Uh, trips, stuff like that, which I don't really have a, a ton of interest spending a lot of time in. But a lot of times the conversation gets there. And there's, that's not really the problem. The problem is my reaction to that is to then be like, oh, they don't care about the same things as me, they don't get me. And it goes back to the invitation that I think you're giving all of us is to see like how are we complicit to that happening in our life how are we complicit in not allowing people to get us and how are we complicit in feeling different then 
when we become the owners of our own stories, then we can let people in and then we have everything that we want in the first place. So it's, I really love your example. And I also had no idea that that's how you and Amanda met. So thank you uh, for sharing that component as well. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, one of the, the big initial moments for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, on a, on a really basic level, it's, it's just true. And everything you're just saying to me aligns with this idea that um, number one, we, we have in our life, what we invite into our life. Mm-hmm. It's not an immediate effect, but that's really the, the truth that always is. Like anything that we have is something that we invite into our lives. And kind of along those lines, but in a, in, on a flip, flip side in a way, you know, when we talk about, does somebody get me or not? Nobody can get you unless you offer you to them. You have to offer yourself and, you know, it's an uncomfortable thing. It's a scary thing. It's, it's that that make or break moment, you know, where you put yourself out there and be vulnerable. But the fear that tells us it's not going to be received is just an imagined fear of a scenario that we haven't seen yet that is only going to come true if we let it. And so if you really, you know, take that step and have that courage, because it always, to me, always takes courage on a small level or a big level, you know, like you said before, either the, the volumes turned way up or the volumes turned way down but that element of fear is always there. And so the courage will always need to be there to take that step. But when we take that step and offer ourselves things like this, where, you know, a small moment becomes a big moment, becomes a relationship, becomes a lifetime. That that's, that's how it is. Like you said, we're the author of our stories. We're taking control, whether we realize it or not. So let's take control and invite what we want into our lives and offer ourselves to people and places and things that we want to receive us. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of inviting in, is there anything else that you would like to invite in into this conversation before we move to resources that we can point people to and and start to close up the interview? Well, you know, to me, this feels like a very, very full and satisfying conversation so far. Nothing else comes to mind to, uh, to jump to here. Sounds good, Kevin. Well, resources that I have compiled here that some have already been mentioned in the conversation, but I want to leave that helped me with introversion, shyness, and being a highly sensitive person. There's Quiet, the book by Susan Cain. And everything that Susan Cain does, by the way, is is a wonderful resource. She has a company called Quiet Revolution, and her website's quietrevolution.com. And she also has a marvelous TED talk that talks about the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking and how we need to use our introversion as a gift and not something that we need to overcome. I have the Awakened Empath as a good resource. I haven't read the book, but it's been recommended by you. The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine Aaron. And Elaine Aaron is also a a thought leader in this area. And so it's highly sensitive, the highly sensitive person, the book is a great resource, but Elaine Aaron overall has plenty of good stuff out there. And then if you're trying to work through fear, a hundred days of rejection therapy is something that I marked as a, a beautiful way to expose yourself to the discomfort and to gradually get better and better at it. And some examples of challenges during a hundred days of rejection therapy are ask a stranger for a high five, ask a stranger for $100 at a grocery store, just lay down and, and uh, <laughs> have someone come up to you and approach you and see if you need to help. 
it's really just a bunch of different stuff to put you out of your comfort zone ask a stranger for a compliment stuff like that and then it can go all the way up to like go into a restaurant and ask if you can be a waiter there or ask a stranger on the street if you can sing for them and then ask for a donation at the end of it different ways to expose yourself to the discomfort of fear and proving to yourself that it's possible to get it done and then the last thing i'll say on this is I made a small list of famous introverts because I think it's worth saying some of my favorites that came up, Gandhi, Steven Spielberg, Eleanor Roosevelt, JK Rowling, Bill Gates, Meryl Streep, and my personal favorite, Brene Brown. Are there any resources that you would like to point people towards? Well, yeah, actually segueing off of your finish there, um, Brene Brown has a lot of great stuff all centered around this idea of vulnerability and kind of stemming off what we just talked about of putting yourself out there and allowing yourself to be vulnerable in a public way, or at least in a, um, a way that's not just kept to yourself, but offering yourself to somebody else. Um, I think her, her main book is called The Power of Vulnerability. Um, so that definitely speaks to this concept well. Um, Someone else, I mean, I love that you brought up J.K. Rowling because I, I hesitate to say it in all these professional conversations, but when, I, when people ask me the, the books, the materials that like most taught me, centered me, grounded me in my life, um, I've read that series probably a dozen plus times, the Harry Potter series. And um, I always like to mention fiction can add as much to reality, if not more, than, than you know, reading nonfiction can. Um, and people tend to think, oh, I just have to read these. Uh, you know, I have to read Think and Grow Rich and well, I've gotten a lot out of that book, but I've gotten just as much in different ways from fiction. Um, all fiction comes from reality and to be honest, vice versa as well. So I like that you mentioned, um, you know, a fiction author like J.K. Rowling there. Um, the only other one I'll mention is my, my guy, Simon Sinek, and um, he has a couple great books. Um, first and foremost, Start With Why, which is also the, the TED Talk. You can hear my dog probably barking in the background here. Um, he has a couple of recommendations too, but we won't go into that. <laughs> Sounds good, Kevin. Well, the, the final question, actually, before I ask my final question, if listeners want to connect with you, where can they do so online? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll keep it simple. I would say, um, well, you can Google me, which I just did before. And I, the first few things that come up are mostly me. Uh, LinkedIn. Uh, for anything professional or if you want to reach out and connect as anything coaching related um, or look into my services with that um, as well as Instagram at kevcorn5 is my handle yeah. um, so anything non-super professional or more personal related I'd say that but those are the two easiest ways LinkedIn or um, Instagram I'm also on Facebook still for those of us old enough and, and uncool enough to still use Facebook, Facebook Messenger, you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I would be happy to connect with anybody just to chat on any of the stuff we've talked about here or to, you know, go deeper uh, than the small talk. Of course, that's always fun too. <laughs> to dive into and explore anything uh, coaching related, writing related, introvert, sensitive person or shy person related. I'm game. Thanks, Kevin. I, I hope that people take you up on that and reach out. The final question that I ask all of my guests is in your words, in your terms, what does it mean to you to live a meaningful life? It's a great question. 
And I'm going to keep my answer as brief and simple as possible to still encapsulate what I believe it is. Um, to lead a meaningful life is to be as boldly, authentically, openly yourself as you can. Mm. I mean, that sums it up and really kind of harnesses all the, the great things we've been talking about here. Well, that is a perfectly well-said way to succinctly end our not-so-succinct conversation together. Yeah, I just want to say to you, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. I, I really, I'm going to do my 60 seconds of complimenting version to you. I really value our friendship and I, every single time that we connect, we have a thoughtful conversation. I feel like you're fully engaged. You have a really powerful way of listening and reflecting things back to me while adding in your own insights. And you exude what it means to be both quietly confident, but also a, a good conversationalist, compassionate, kind, someone who is trying to be their boldest, best version of themselves. And it's no accident that me and you have become good friends over the pandemic. So thank you so much for being on the podcast and for being a friend of mine. To all of the listeners, I hope that if you feel less than for being shy or introverted or a highly sensitive person, that you found this to be a, a connecting experience and that you see the gifts that you have that are inherent in you as being a person. And any resources that we mentioned, they'll be linked in the show notes. Uh, there's plenty of them. I hope that you take a look. Have a great night. Have a great day. Or whenever you are listening, take very good care. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.